Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Nittany Lions Sports Report Weekly here on BLS with Bob Long and Tyler Gellhouse alongside. And, well, a bit of a somber day for Penn State football fans, Tyler, as it seemed like everything was kind of falling into the breadbasket that Sunday with losses by Washington that was happening concurrently with Penn State for a while. It looked like Notre Dame was going to go down to the University of Pittsburgh. And, of course, there were several other key matchups that went what could be a fringe playoff team's way like Penn State, a loss by Georgia to LSU, certainly at the top of that list. And all of a sudden, things were looking really good on a Saturday afternoon for Penn State until they weren't, until Felton Davis caught a last-second touchdown pass to take down the Penn State Nittany Lions, 21-17, to in what seemed like a total replay of 2017 the, the game against the Spartans on the road, and certainly a total replay of the two-game set, Ohio State a crushing loss, and then Michigan State in many ways a letdown at exactly the wrong time. We're going to talk with Brian Tripp from BTN and Go PSU Sports about that in just a few minutes, but Tyler, first to you. Uh, truly a tremendous turn of events in a negative way for the Nittany Lions in the last three weekends. Yeah, and, and as you said, Bob, as, as the whiteboard says, deja vu. Um, literally felt like the same thing that happened last year um, in that two-week span in Columbus and then in East Lansing for those two games. And it feels like to me that both games were against both Ohio State and Michigan State were eerily similar um, for the most part. And um, blown leads in the fourth quarter, uh, couldn't get first downs when it mattered, couldn't run out the clock, and, and couldn't get that defensive stop. And and um, Penn State is right back where they were last year um, and, and not really in a good spot at all, pretty much, in my opinion, eliminated from college football playoff as well as the Big Ten. They would just need way too much to go their way. And it, like you said, it's a shame because um, we're, we're looking at the scores of those other games and everything's going their way, and not to mention Iowa State beats West Virginia that night. Um, Penn State would have had an opportunity to jump up to uh, number six at least, maybe even number five. Um, but – they're 18 right now, so um, that's the reality of the situation. Yeah, and you talk about the way the game went, and you said not getting a defensive stop. There's a lot of ways you can talk about not getting a defensive stop. That includes not stopping Michigan State on their final drive, of course. But it also includes not being ready on a fake punt. That means right. really not being ready on a fake field goal that probably should have been completed and should have ended up in a score for the Spartans. I, Four fumbles where Michigan State yep. put the ball on the ground and Penn State did not get one of them. Unable to win the One turnover. on the goal line, too. C.J. Thorpe, yes. bad penalty. Yeah, penalties and some questionable, but if you have a game come down to you know the officials, then you don't deserve the win anyway. I mean, you can't have the game come down to that. And, and like you said, they had so many opportunities, and – and it, it's frustrating to me, like, the the special teams play has been very disappointing this year. Um, I'd say the one the one bright spot is probably Hamler returning and also Rafael Cheka kicking off, I think, has done a great job. Sure. Um, I don't Blake Gillikin. I, I, I don't think he's played as well as he could, though. Um, and and Pinnaker, a, f- a freshman kicker, not easy, but yep. a little disappointed with some of the misses he's had. Um, but, but all told, I mean, Franklin – was prepared. They said all week that they prepared. They had some of their best practices ever, as as he's been at Penn. As long as he's been at Penn State, they also practiced for these fake uh, punts and kicks that, that Michigan State is notorious for running. And and the punt was wide open. And and you're right. They they pretty much should have had that fake fake kick at, towards the end of the game. And that would have been a touchdown. Listen, we're not in the locker room here, but when I hear Trace McSorley say this is the best week of practice we've had. And then James Franklin says something to the extent of, well, oh, well, I, I don't know if he got that from me, but I, I said the same thing. I suppose there's two ways to think about that. But perhaps the cynic in me thinks, what are you talking about? If you had beaten Ohio State two weeks ago, would that statement had come up? Probably not. Or is that right. something to do with an insecurity Probably. or a rah-rah or something in the middle there? Probably because, because it, doesn't, if, it doesn't make any sense to me. Because if that's how they play after their best practice of the year, <laughs> I hope they don't practice well, well that's, from that's here on it. out. You know? I mean, it just doesn't feel like a topic of conversation. It feels like something to fill the media's bucket. Sure. So that they have things to talk about and instill some confidence in the fans and maybe in some ways instill some confidence in the players. Certainly, that's a little bit of a stretch and not something that I know about. However, just take a step back. Sounds great. 
Penn State had a great practice, best they've had in James Franklin's four years of coaching. Why? I, I, I have problems with that. I, I don't understand how that comes up or why if there's not something a little bit deeper and we saw yeah. them really struggle. I don't know if there's a coincidence. It's probably not worth even bringing up. Right. But it, it, just hearing that even midweek struck me no, in a certain I, way. I, I kind of agree with you. Um, looking at it now, I mean, in the time, I'm like, oh, that's good. But then I'm th- and then you think about it, it's like, well, the amount of practices that these guys have over their careers. And they and, singularly... And you remember, <laughs> like, what was so great about that one practice that right. no other practice could match? You know what I mean? So It really is. Interesting. It's really, really interesting. But right now we are going to bring on uh, Brian Tripp of the Big Ten Network and Go PSU Sports on to talk about what was a very disappointing weekend for the Penn State Nittany Lions, and we'll welcome him on now. Brian, how are you, my friend? Uh, I'm doing well, Bob. Thanks for having me on, as always. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's a great night to have you on. Not that it's a great occasion, necessarily, for Penn State fans, but a great time to bring you on and and have a little bit of a discussion of what's happened and uh, what went wrong over the last, let's call it six, maybe even five quarters of football that has really changed the Penn State football season. Yeah, isn't it crazy if you look back over the last, let's call it 67, 68 minutes of football, it's gone from Penn State being the toast of the country, playing in front of one of the greatest crowds and atmospheres I think I've ever been a part of at Penn State. And and now all of a sudden, a team that's reeling, having lost back-to-back games, albeit by a total of five points, but you have this stretch of close losses against Ohio State and Michigan State and the Rose Bowl game against USC, and people are scratching their heads, why can't they? Why can't they close these games out? So I think it's disappointing. I think it's frustrating because of how close they are, particularly this year. I don't think there is any question that Penn State outplayed Ohio State. They missed opportunities. Penn State had numerous opportunities to close that game out and win. And same thing against Michigan State. I thought Penn State was the better team. They, they put up 200-plus yards on the ground against a great run defense. The defense, back-to-back games, has really emerged. I thought the defense played well against Ohio State and was – equally up to the task against Michigan State, and they just couldn't get that one or two plays they needed at the end to finish. Um, you can certainly look at the fourth quarter, and every decision and every play is going to be magnified there down the stretch. But to me, it doesn't come down to the fourth quarter. It comes down to Penn State missing opportunities throughout the entire course of both games. Um, right now, there's kind of a turning point. They're at a fork in the road. Where do they go from here? There's a long season to play out. Certainly still could win 10-plus games this year, including the bowl game. Haven't done that in three straight seasons since the early 80s. Uh, they've done a lot of really good things, but now where do they kind of go from here? So there's certainly a lot we can get to. Uh, Brian, Tyler Galhouse here. Um, any any idea on the team morale right now after um, two devastating um, home losses? Obviously, they haven't lost a home game in a couple of years. Um, back-to-back losses again to Ohio State, Michigan State, um, by a total of five points. Just wondering, any idea on the team morale? How do you get the guy? How James Franklin and his staff is going to get the guys up for the rest of the games? Because there are some big games left on this schedule and still meaningful football. Yeah, and I think that includes this week at Indiana. It's not going to be an easy test. Uh, I think they're disappointed. I think they're frustrated. And I'm not sure if that Ohio State game carried over into Michigan State. From my perspective, it seemed like it sure did. They didn't seem like the same team. I felt like that was a game they just had to find a way to survive. And what makes it more frustrating is with everything happening across the country, they probably would have been fifth or sixth in the polls this week and right on their way to the college football playoff. And they can get on track offensively and defensively and play it out. So I think they're probably frustrated and disappointed at this point. But knowing James Franklin and knowing the leadership that Trace McSorley brings, I think there's still something to prove. I, I, I don't see them. I don't see the last two games kind of tail spinning here and forcing this team into a spot where they haven't been, and that's a three-game losing streak. I think they still want to prove something. There's a, a lot at stake this season, so I think now it's, all right, time to turn the page. If the last two losses are disappointing and frustrating, now it's time to – people are people are, people are kind of out on them right now, right? They're, they're down to 18 in the poll. Fans are, oh, my God, what's going on? The, the world's ending. So I think this is the kind of time where a guy like Trace McSorley rallies the troops and things things turn around for him. And I think, Brian, that it, it's certainly an opportunity and a good time for the team to uh, take that step back and, and realize that they have half the football season left. 
But if I may yeah. ask one more question about this past week before we get to that, and I talked about it right before you came on, I was mystified by the conversation that both Trace McSorley and James Franklin had with the media in the middle of the week. And this was before the game. It was, it was after our show, so we didn't get to comment on it. But when James Franklin and Trace McSorley say that this is the best week of practice that the program has had since either of them came on campus, uh, I don't know that I've ever heard, I guess, a comment like that uh, from anybody at any program. And so I wonder, is that – where did that come from? Was that something that was maybe trying to hide a little bit of insecurity on the player side? Or are we now looking into that a little bit too much after the fact? Well, Bob, if that is true, I think that's what's most disconcerting to me about what happened on Saturday. They're coming off a bye week. They are saying all the right things, that they're prepared and ready to go. And James Franklin even said post-game Saturday, hey, they didn't do anything we didn't expect. It's what we worked on didn't translate over into the game. So where is the missing, for what reason did what they worked on all week, their preparation, preparing for Michigan State's trick plays, uh, why did that not translate over into the football game? Why during the game were they making lining up wrong why on defense were they missing assignments why were they taking penalties that were mental penalties that were were penalties that were unforced penalties what what happened that that didn't translate from the week of practice the two weeks of practice and into the game that's what's most disconcerting to me about the past week against michigan state uh, against michigan state I thought the defense played really well i thought the offense certainly did not have its best game, but they ran the ball against a team that, that hasn't allowed teams to run the ball against them all season, and they were unable to finish. But to me, the most disconcerting thing is what you talked about, great week of practice, James Franklin saying afterwards, we did all the right things, and then all of a sudden, why did that not translate onto the football field on Saturday? Yeah, Brian, I, I also had a difficult time with some of the um, the play calling in that in that game by Ricky Ronnie, um, especially because Michigan State does have such a good run defense. I think they were number one in the country, and Miles Sanders broke off a couple long runs. Um, mm -hmm. Also, they have one of the worst um, passing defenses in the country, and it didn't really seem like Penn State was either able to or really did take shots downfield, and I just think that there were some questionable calls specifically on a third and goal from the two, and they threw a fade to Juwan Johnson, and it wasn't anywhere close. And it, they really haven't gone to that play this year. Um, and then they had to settle for the, the field goal by Pinnaker, which put them up 17-14. I mean, I just was wondering your thoughts on, on really the offensive play calling because I think the defense has kind of outperformed the last two weeks and have really put them in prime position to win those games. And I just don't think the offense has been able to capitalize. Yeah, I agree. I think if you told me they'd hold Ohio State to under 30, they had an opportunity to win that. And then against Michigan State, tell me you're going to hold them to 21. You really expect the offense to win that game. I completely agree with you there. And even if the offense doesn't produce any more points, here's an offense that in the fourth quarter of the last two games hasn't been able to get a key first down just to extend the drive and finish. Everyone talks about, well, the defense has let up points at the end of the game to finish. Well, to me, it's more of, the offense is supposed to be the strength of the team. Why can't they get one or two key first downs, hold on to the ball, go into the victory formation, and finish a game? Uh, as far as play calling, I think you're looking at a guy, Ricky Ronnie. This is still his first go-around as an offensive coordinator and as a play caller. I think Ricky's done a lot of really good things for Penn State this year. Uh, I, I really liked his, his scheme and his play calling in the pick game. I thought they called a pretty good game against Ohio State. But when it comes down to winning Big Ten games against Ohio State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Iowa. It's going to come down to, can you get a push up front? And can you run the football? Penn State's been really good between the 20s. But for whatever reason, when they've gotten inside the 20-yard line, they have not been able to establish, an, I guess you could say, 30-yard line against Ohio State. I think that's why they threw some of those Stevens plays in there. They haven't been able to establish what they want or an identity. And I think at this point, it's Ricky just trying to come up with something and dial something up that's going to work. So I think you're seeing him as a first-time play caller, still trying to get comfortable. And an offense right now that has not had success the last two weeks of getting the ball into the end zone. So I think those are the two things. 
Uh, Trace has not. I agree with you. I don't think he has developed that chemistry. We were all expecting the receiver position to be a real strength for Penn State this year. And for whatever reason, and maybe maybe Josh Gad is going to Alabama for half a million dollars to be their co-offensive coordinator. Look, that says a lot about the kind of coach that Josh Gaddis is. Maybe that's a bigger loss than we imagine. Maybe having the continuity of Saquon, Gasicki, and Hamilton in the passing game is a significant loss for Penn State and more so than we imagine. But for whatever reason, it seems like with the exception of K.J. Hamler, that passing game has not taken off, even with a better offensive line, with McSorley's ability to extend plays. Uh, Fryermuth and, and Hamler have been the top two targets. Uh, Jawan Johnson, DeAndre Tompkins... Brandon Polk just it just hasn't materialized this year, and I think I think they're starting to grasp for some things. I'd like to see personally Hamler get more touches in a variety of roles in that offense. Ever since the um, the Rose Bowl close loss to USC, um, Penn State's had obviously those other very close one possession losses to Ohio State, Michigan State, back to back years. It, this seems to be a growing concern for Penn State fans. These close games. Um, leads in the fourth quarter um, with the ball with like under four minutes. I saw a crazy stat, something like that. Um, moving forward, is this something that you see as a, as a continued concern for Penn State and the fan base, or is this something that hopefully Franklin and the staff wake up to and we can you know put the rest <laughs> either this the rest of this year or even going into next year? I think they're always evaluating, and I think there's no question they have to be able to finish games. And to me, as I said before, I think it comes down to more the offense, which is a strength of this team, finding a way, whether it's being more physical and just being able to perform and execute and get one or two first downs. But my counter to that, and I think they would argue too, is look, yeah, sure, they have leads in those games and need to hold on, but they did put together a last minute. There, there's this notion out there that James Franklin and his staff are clueless in the fourth quarter of big games. Well, they put together that last minute drive against Iowa to win a game last year. They probably didn't belong winning. They put together that drive to go to OT against App State this year and win that game, a game that you would argue at the end. They Very probably true. didn't belong to win that game. <laughs> uh, the Irv Charles game against Minnesota that put them on the track to the Big Ten title yep. a couple of years ago. Uh, they needed a drive to set up a, a field goal to force overtime. And, and win that game against Minnesota. Uh, UCF, the first game for James Franklin. Uh, they, it's not like they haven't done it in no, the fourth right. quarter when they needed to. So I think there's kind of this notion that they're they're clueless and they don't know what they're doing in the fourth quarter. I think that's wrong. Um, but I do think that anytime you have a lead, especially at home, against a team like Ohio State or Michigan State, you, you have to find a way to win those games. You have to find a way to win those games. So that's why it's frustrating. And, and this year particularly, Look, I thought last year Ohio State played a whale of a game against Penn State. Mm-hmm. I thought this year Penn State was a better team, yeah. especially at Beaver Stadium. I thought last year Michigan State, Lewerke made some big plays in that game. I thought Penn State had numerous opportunities to beat Michigan State this year. I think it's disappointing and frustrating. That's why people are, are upset. Um, but I, I don't think it's time to panic. I, I know people are kind of up in arms. What's the staff doing? But I think uh, what they've proven uh, they're if they win 10 games this year with the benefit of the bowl game, and maybe they win it without the benefit of a bowl game, again, they have not won 10 or more games in three straight years since the early 1980s. So I think people need to step back. Maybe maybe winning the Big Ten two years ago accelerated the path to where they are. I think they're still in a really good spot, and the staff is really good. Uh, it's a young staff still, some guys doing things for the first time. Sure, you got to hold on to games where you're leading with five minutes left. Yeah, that, no question about it. That's exactly. That's exactly. No panic. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask you was um, about the expectations. Obviously, 2016 was you know they kind of caught caught lightning in a bottle there and, and ran the Big Ten table after the Michigan game and obviously won the Big Ten. Ever since then, it seems like expectations have been higher really than ever, um, at least in in about a decade at Penn State, um, and it accelerated the expectations of fans and. And I think that's a lot of the reason why it's tough for them to swallow the fans. Mm -hmm. Do you believe, though, that um, the expectations, at least at the preseason for Penn State this year, were reasonable expectations to, you know, fight for a college football playoff spot? And and at the same time, is it surprising that they are out of that equation already? Yeah, I'm surprised they're out of the equation in October, mid-October. I thought that stretch of games against Iowa, Michigan, and Wisconsin might be the stretch that, that knocks them out of the conversation, uh, especially 
what's happened over the last five quarters. Um, no, I think the expectations were reasonable. I mean, those are the internal expectations. You have one of the best players in college football at quarterback. You have a, a very deep and skilled team, uh, relatively young on defense, uh, but I think they've started to answer some of the question marks they've had with that unit, an improved offensive line. I mean, they're probably, what, two plays, right? Two plays total away from being the number two team in the country right now. So I don't think those expectations are totally unreasonable. They've had the lead in the fourth quarter with a couple minutes left in both games they lost. And if, if they hold on to those games, they're second in the country or third in the country. And Penn State's one of the top teams in the entire nation with a chance to favor it easily out of the Big Ten to go to the playoff. And they probably actually have some margin for error to, to play with based on what's happened. So, no, I, I think it was reasonable expectation. And I think that's what makes it more frustrating for fans. Brian Tripp on with us here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report with Bob Long and Tyler Gelhouse. Brian, I appreciate your perspective on the question that Tyler asked two questions ago, and it's kind of going to be my theme for the evening, and that's that, yeah, they had trouble closing this one out, but that generally speaking, they're putting themselves in some tremendous opportunities mm-hmm. to win games against, let's yeah. not forget, two outstanding programs on a year-to-year mm-hmm. basis and and some of those late-game opportunities that they were able to convert upon in games that, well, at that time, maybe the concern was maybe the third quarter instead of the fourth quarter. So maybe it's a, yeah. a question of completeness rather than it is pure end of game, and it's, and it's that that can put a program like this over the top. Maybe not evaluating the last five minutes of a given game, but mm-hmm. how many bats you give yourself – and can you play complete 60 minutes of football? Yeah, I think it's consistency, basically. And it's eliminating mistakes from the first. Ohio State game could have been 20, 24, nothing at halftime and over. I mean, very true. It, it very easily could have been over. If Penn State goes down and scores after Garrett Taylor's interception, who I think has been great and a great surprise for Penn State against Michigan State, they go up 21-7, that game's probably over. So, sure, we're magnifying and people are, blowing out of proportion what the coaching staff is doing at the end of these games in the fourth quarter. But the last two games, it's been missed opportunities way before the last three, four minutes that I think have cost Penn state the game, as opposed to the last missed opportunity. And that is getting a first down against Ohio state or Michigan state. So they don't get the ball back and score uh, that to me. And I agree with you, Bob is more of more of the issue with this team. It's, it's a team that's missed opportunities. It's missed opportunities over the last two games to score points, put teams away. They're settling for too many field goals. They obviously have a situation at kicker right now where they don't have a consistent kicker. They have a freshman in there. Um, you can't miss opportunities. And that's what's, that's what's killing them. It really is. Yep. And I agree with you, too, that Georgia just got rolled by LSU. I'd much rather be in Penn State spot where they had a chance to win against Michigan State and Ohio State. Sure, maybe it's not as frustrating for fans. You can just say, chalk it up to a bad day. Georgia got beat. Let's move on. James Franklin's teams have never not been prepared to play and never not been in a game uh, until you have to look all the way back Michigan. to three years ago in that game against Michigan. Yep. That's the last time. And I think that speaks volumes about this team, the staff, that even when they don't have their best game, they have a chance to win the game. I think that speaks volumes about them. Brian Tripp on with us here, and you see his picture that was just on the screen. He's uh... oh, don't scare people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a big trophy in your hand, so I'm impressed by your uh, your strength there, lifting up a Big Ten hockey championship rink side. So, uh, for those of you that don't know, but I, I think everybody does at this point, you are the uh, exemplary voice of the Penn State hockey program and wanted to get a an update on on how things are going and i also got through ben jones's book hockey valley and i saw that you my friend got yourself your very own chapter in there so uh (laughs) tell us about what what that was like for one and i guess that was two off seasons ago now uh going through the process of being interviewed by an author and what would end up being a, a book about penn state hockey and uh and how did the first couple weekends go yeah, let's uh, start with Ben's book. I thought Ben did an awesome job for someone uh, who doesn't have a journalism degree. He's like a poli-sci guy who, in the Sandusky scandal, started tweeting and all of a sudden became a, a great writer and a really good friend and uh, someone who I think has some of the best coverage of Penn State sports. He's honest. He he doesn't only take the macro or the micro perspective. He kind of takes the macro perspective 
sometimes he sees the whole picture, develops really good connections with his sources. And I thought Ben did a great job on that book. Um, it's an easy read, but I think it's a, an informative read. So it was really cool that Ben decided to capture, I think, with myself and Rodney Martin, who does the PA, uh, some of the other people who are involved with the program, the ancillary people uh, that kind of help make, I would argue, I don't know that I'm that big of a part of it, but help make Hockey Valley what it is. Um, it's kind of cool that Ben decided to include me and some of those other folks in the book. And uh, it was fun to read that. I thought Ben did a great job. And it's just been a tremendous honor to be a part of such a program and work with Coach Godowski and his staff. Um, I've been lucky at Penn State to work with, whether it's Coach Cooper with baseball and Coquise Washington, Pat Chambers, and of course, Russ Rose, uh, James Franklin. But let me tell you, uh, they're all great coaches, and I think Guy Godowski's right at the top of that list uh, with what he's been able to do at Penn State and just the type of person uh, and the culture that he's developed with his program. Um, and then your second question about the team, to start 2-0 and and beat a ranked Clarkson team that had 20 or more wins in two of the last three years, was in the NCAA tournament last year, and that was a great start. Um, Penn State coming into the year had, I guess, concerns or questions, especially externally, and I'm sure some internally. How do you replace the program's all-time leading goal scorer, Andrew Sturtz? And uh, how do you replace two excellent defensemen with uh, Trevor Hamilton, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year last year, all-world block leader, and Eric Audio? Well, Penn State got nine goals against a team that allowed less than two goals per game last year, eight different goal scorers. Brandon Byro, Liam Folks, Nate Susis, a new guy, graduate transfer Ludwig Larson, all look poised for big years. I don't think scoring will be a problem, and they did that without Dennis Smirnoff. And then how do you replace those defensive guys? Well, to add, to make matters worse, Kevin Kerr, who's a superb player, one of the top five players on the team, I think. And uh, Evan Bell is not eligible to the second semester because of transfer rules. Pretty shorthanded defensively. You got a freshman, Paul DeNaples, steps up, plays really well. Alex Stevens, James Gobat, Starian Hamilton, and then carrying the load is two guys who logged a lot of ice time in the past. Cole Holtz, that was great. And then Chris Maleri blocked 13 shots. The team blocked 54 shots. So I guess they have that identity and mentality. They're going to block shots even without Trevor Hamilton. So I think you got a lot of good answers. I got good goaltending from both Chris Funky and Peyton Jones. And a team that started slow last year starts much quicker this year. And it gets off to a better start. Now it's uh, maintaining that and growing and building on that foundation. But I think it's a really good start for them. I think they're excited. I think they know they have a chance to do something special. Straight from the source, the voice of the Penn State Nittany Lions hockey program, Brian Tripp, on with us here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. We certainly appreciate the time. Wish you the best of luck the rest of the way with the hockey season. And, uh, and certainly good luck the rest of the way covering Penn State football as well. We appreciate you being a part of our show. Uh, guys, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, I'll be on BTN pregame and postgame for Iowa in a couple of weeks, hoping it's uh, warm down there on the sideline because it was <laughs> it was rather chilly for Michigan State. I don't know that anyone was really ready for it. Oh, uh, man. Well, we, we will uh, hope that you keep warm and we'll keep all, all our eyes on BTN. And, uh, and we can't wait to see you up there. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Always enjoy it. All right. Take care, Brian. There you have it. That's Brian Tripp coming on. Uh, Really, really good to hear from him. Appreciate him coming on, and uh, he always brings some great perspective, and he's got a damn good hockey voice, too, and and he does a great job broadcasting that team. Yeah, he's he's very impressive. I mean, he knows his stuff from sport to sport. Um, Definitely impressive, Uh, (laughs) and he's got me ready for college hockey now, too, and... um, yeah, I can tell you what I I'm not sure if you've ever I think you've been to a game at Pagula before. Oh, absolutely. Um, for our listeners out there, if if you're into hockey, um, just a little bit, I or highly recommend. Not. I highly recommend going to a college game um, at at Pagula Arena at Penn State. Um, one of the best atmospheres you'll ever come across um, for college hockey, um, and for really, frankly, a lot of college sports. To be right. honest with you, because of how close you are to the action and how loud it gets. Um, student section is is right behind the net and and it, they truly are building a, an incredible um uh team because they they came from a club level not many years ago and and now they're tops tops in the country top 20 in the country um so like he said credit to guy Godowski up there and um sky's the limit for that program there's no doubt about it and the the other thing is that back to what he was saying during the interview 
you know, I thought he made a good point. It was kind of be going to be a, a portion of my message over the second half of the show, and that is that I really do think it's about getting at bats, and they're getting more at bats right now under Franklin than they did under O'Brien, and we understand why. There were scholarship issues there. They had just come off what was, you know, obviously a horrible thing for, for many reasons not associated with football. And that, that handicapped the football program as well during O'Brien's time. However, they're getting much more at-bats than in the later stages of Joe Paterno's tenure. And frankly, they're more consistent in this short period of time than at many periods, any periods truly, during Joe Paterno's tenure, year to year to year. They haven't experienced the very same high in the form of a national championship yet, Yet, but they are consistent in a college football atmosphere where it's a lot more difficult to be successful. And that's not taking a thing away from the old coaching staffs here at Penn State or anywhere else. But the days of Tom Osborne bringing on 110 players at Nebraska so that a half-decent player doesn't go to Iowa State and Iowa State can't beat a a pretty good Colorado team in the Big 12 or a Texas team. I mean, those days are over. High school football is deeper. Scholarship limits are less Mm -hmm. at the college football level. And the talent is more widespread. And yet you have a Penn State team for three years with a relatively new and young coaching staff giving themselves an opportunity to win every single game that they play. Now, this is not a rah-rah moment. They should have won that game against Michigan State and should have won that game against Ohio State. But I do think it's important to remember that those kids on the other side are also very, very talented. In Ohio State's case, probably more talented. And they're given everything they got to try to come back and win that football game, just like Penn State was trying to win it. And you know what? Sometimes things happen, and those things happened. Yeah, and I mean, I think you you bring up all valid points right there. Great points. Um, it's it's when expectations. Penn State fans really aren't used to these high of expectations. That's true. Since probably the mid two thousands, uh, from you know really the Daryl Clark era, the yep. two years that, that was. Um, because then after that, of course, they had a couple mediocre years, and I would say mediocre. I say eight and four, nine and three, but that was like pretty typical at the time for. A Joe Paterno team, and then um, obviously the the scandal rocked the world up there and really everywhere. So, um, and and even then they 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 survived and went above five hundred all those years. Credit to Bill O'Brien and obviously the players that sure. hung around gave it their all. Um, but the problem is now not the problem, but the the issue that that is there is that ever since they won that Big Ten championship in twenty sixteen, the expectations went from here to yeah. hear very quickly for sure for everybody for fans for everybody for college football and then when you don't live up and then every time you lose a game now it hurts a lot more because you know really how close you are and every every game's always meaningful but when you're in the playoff race yep you know you can't afford it so it hurts so much more when you lose especially especially when the games could have been won and that's exactly right. They, they could have and should have been one. So I'm talking holistically when I talk about keeping everything in perspective. You know, C.J. Thorpe getting just an absolutely mindless personal foul penalty. I, I didn't after. even see it, though. Like the yeah, replay, they didn't really show it. It wasn't that much, and it was only one replay that I saw yeah, as well. I mean, but obviously just, dumb. Just but stop. I yeah, mean, no, I know. I mean, they would have had him stop. So. Yep. And, and, again, and it's decision time. And did sure. they kick a field goal? But instead, first and goal, of course, with that new life, they walk it in there, and, and it's 7-7. So there's one, and that also came on the same drive as the fake punt that they were not ready for, no matter what the coaching staff may say. They were not ready for that particular wrinkle, and it ended up resulting. Two big Penn State mistakes resulted in one of the three touchdowns that Michigan State scored all day long. We can talk about Amani Owarie dropping that interception on the final drive for Michigan State. He's had tremendous success. Drops happen. It's just the amount of little things like that well, over the course of the right. game. Four fumbles by and Michigan it, and State. It, they didn't come it up shouldn't, with any of them. It should never come down to that. Same as everyone wants to make a big deal about the fourth and five run play against Ohio State. Well, like Brian Tripp said, and we discussed as well, it could have been 21-24 nothing at the half. Right. So it shouldn't have it should have never have come down to that. Of course that's what everyone's gonna remember, but 
both these games sh- losses should not have come down to sure. what they did. And really, you're rolling you're rolling the dice, and you know you have a fifty fifty chance when you put yourself in that position. Yeah, you can list and, off and, a lot. And of like Brian Tripp made a great point. We've had the benefit of the doubt probably more than we really thought. I mean, he's right. The UCF game, going back to Franklin's first ever game, and and obviously the most recent was the Iowa. But there's been other games in there yep. too where the things have gone our way. Well, even in this game, I mean, Miles Sanders fumbled that football in the second half. Yep. He, he absolutely fumbled that football we when got, he was yeah. kind of getting held up there, and, and it looked like he had you know injured himself and whatnot, and and so that's obviously not what you want to see. But yeah, he dropped that football. It was a legal tackle, even though it was kind of looked like it could have been pretty bad. And that was ruled down on the field. They couldn't go back and uh, review that play. And Penn State got the next snap off quickly, and, and they were off to the races. So, you know, there are things that have gone Penn State's way as well. And they had the opportunity to use that to their advantage. They had the opportunity to execute better. They had the chance to get a couple first downs and run out the clock. But it didn't happen. Trace McSorley a little bit off, give Michigan State's defense a little bit of credit for throwing him off for a, a secondary that really hasn't given anybody any problems all year long. It's a Michigan State team that was up for a big game against Penn State and a Penn State team that came out a little bit flat and could not put the points on the board early enough to start to run away with it. Michigan State hangs, they hang. That was the point of the broadcast, really, in the third and fourth quarter, is that Mark D'Antonio is saying, just hang on, and we think we're going to win a close game in the fourth. And that's That's what happened. What's so crazy about what you just said is that Michigan State had a fourth down and maybe five with like less, like a minute 40 left, all three timeouts. Instead of going for it, they elected to punt. Yep. I mean, they had no respect for Penn State, and it turns out it benefits them because. If they do go for it and they don't get it, Penn State, the field position, not to say they would have run out the clock or anything like that because you just never know, especially with Penn State, but he had all the confidence in his world, it, all the confidence in the world in his defense yep. that they were going to get that stop, and lo and behold, they did. We are going to talk about that in our episode of The Blitz in the middle of this episode of the Nittany Lions Sports Report here after our next break. And we're going to talk about the different play calls in the last three drives of the game, which are all three offensive drives in the, uh, in the fourth quarter for Penn State, and how getting the ball with such little time left in really all three of those drives, under five minutes to go with the second to last drive. And then what ended up being the, well, the last drive was two plays and they couldn't get it down the field and score a touchdown. But I'm talking about trying to salt away the game up 17-14, those last two drives. And we'll talk about those play calls and what went right, what went wrong, why it went wrong, and and what's excusable versus what's not. Uh, Because I think that's very important. There's a lot of noise out there right now, Tyler, about play calling in general. So we're going to break it down very specifically those last couple drives, uh, dating all the way back to what you asked Brian Tripp about, which was the lob to Juwan Johnson. So hang with us on that. We'll be back in just a couple minutes to talk about that. But want to wrap up your kind of final thoughts on Saturday in and of itself. If you have anything. No, I, I mean, it's like I said earlier, I mean, there were a ton of good games on a 3.30, so I was score watching, um, and I thought it would be a little bit more enjoyable that – I'd be able to kind of sit back, enjoy a nice – I thought Penn State was going to win by 17 points. Um, there were times early in the game um, after the Miles Sanders uh, long run and it led, led to the touchdown to K.J. Hamler. I'm like, yeah, this this should be a nice a nice win. Um, yeah. Not Maybe not a walk in the park, but, but pretty close. And then um, it, they just couldn't – you know, they, they lack that, like, killer instinct sometimes. And um, I just they, the more they let Michigan State hang around, I knew it wasn't going to be a good outcome. And it was almost the same thing with Ohio State. Even though Penn State was up thirteen seven at the half, they let them hang around, and they just it didn't feel. It, they were both eerily similar, and and um, it's it's just disappointing. But you got to hope eventually they learn from it and get over the hump. Yeah, I always struggle with that lack of a killer instinct, though. Two two things. One, I think they have it. And I think they, in spurts in the past, have certainly put teams away when they've needed to. Yeah, I mean, they put Ohio State away two years ago. They they did stop them. So, I mean, I guess maybe they do, but it just... Uh, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, two, 2016. Right. Right. Um, but, I, I, but I just feel like that's very similar to Clutch, and I think you know my feelings on Clutch. I, I don't like the... Uh, don't like the term, the insinuation that it's a, a large factor in things, and frankly, I struggle with the definition. Anyway, Killer Instinct's the same way. It's like when we can't quite put our finger on things, do we just say, like, kind of like the it factor and the clutch? And, you know, I just think that sometimes we don't give enough credit to the opponent, and sometimes we say. They're very well coached, Michigan State. Yeah. They outcoach Penn State. They outcoach Penn no State. No question about it. And. It's a good enough team that if Penn State doesn't execute well, I mean, Penn State's not going to beat Michigan State by 40 points, no matter how poorly it seems like they're playing this year. Uh, if Penn State plays their best, maybe they beat them by 17 to 20 points. Well, I would argue that Penn State made 17 points worth of mistakes on Saturday. And there you go. I mean, it's as simple as that. Yep. And so they're not that much better than the rest of college football to be able to make a bunch of mistakes and win the football game. And that's why there are so many great teams that lose every week. And that is why Penn State is not elite yet. As James Franklin has said, mm. they are great right now. They're a great program. And they're not elite because of the reasons that you just mentioned. Who, uh, this is uh, it's 841. This is a really a Pandora's box question. Who's elite? Alabama. Yeah. Ohio State. Okay. Yeah. Clemson. So why is Clemson elite to you? Because they lose games they shouldn't all the time. Right, but in a they usually conference. only lose one game and they rebound from that one game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of that Penn was kind of. We're f- in the ACC right now. How many games would they lose this year? I mean, it. T- it I mean, and last year and the year before, depending on who they play. I mean, their toughest games would be obviously Clemson. Um, <laughs> Virginia Tech's not much, I don't think. Um, Miami is eh. Florida State's down Florida this year. Florida State was NC good, yeah. State's pretty good this year, but we'll see really what they're all about. I mean, no, I get it. The the ACC And I have compare. an issue with Clemson. That's but, a personal But I, I put them up in elite because even James I, – I feel like – I think it was James Franklin that said this, and I'm sorry if I'm misquoting them, but elite teams, they, you can afford to lose that one game, but it's how you, how you respond. It's true. And – that is why I put Clemson in the elite group because yeah. they've lost those those one games that they shouldn't lose, but they they tend to respond. And, and I mean, they've yeah. been in the playoffs. And Penn State's zero and two doing right. that. You're so right. They are zero and two. They're responding. really the only three elite teams. I would have Oklahoma and probably Georgia right on the outside. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think you know I think Georgia Penn, newly famous. And, and I think Penn State is kind of newly. They're kind of right there with Georgia. Yeah. They're not Georgia as much might success. be a little close, right? But I think Penn State is is right there um, knocking on the door, and it's you know it's going to be the little things that are going to make them elite. Fun conversation. Really, really good stuff. We'll be back on the other side. Just give us about two minutes. We're going to get our whiteboard set up here, and we're going to go through the last three offensive drives when Penn State had a chance to salt that game away and what went wrong, what's excusable, what's inexcusable, and, uh, and really kind of start to put together the pieces on what happened in that fourth quarter. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Bob Long, Tyler Galhouse. It's time for the Blitz here as we take a look at the whiteboard and evaluate one aspect of the Penn State football program or the last game and uh, how that affected what was really, really important in that particular game and how that affected the outcome. Well, tonight I think it's a pretty easy discussion and a pretty easy decision on what to talk about. It's going to be what happened in the fourth quarter and not just one drive. The last three drives of that football game were really concerning for the Nittany Lions. And so let's start with as Penn State drives down the field with their third to last, what ended up being their third to last offensive drive. It's 14 apiece. 14-14, Trace McSorley. And on, so they run it up the middle to Miles Sanders twice, and he can't quite get to the end zone. So now they're down by the goal line, and Juwan Johnson lines up to the outside, and they run a little fade to Juwan Johnson. I understand that there have been struggles in the past near the goal line for Penn State football, and this goes all the way back to Joe Moorhead. But running a play here to Juwan Johnson, having him go get a football, other than just the, the, the pure physical athleticism of Juwan Johnson – 
At what point has he showed that Mike Kosicki-like ability to just go up and get a football? It's more about the physicality, getting down the field, and being able to go snatch something. But in terms of a pure lob pass, that just hasn't been successful. And down at the goal line, I just as soon as that ball is thrown, that's there's no chance. It's not something that they've done very very often. So I had a, a really really big issue with that one. So now it's seventeen fourteen Penn State. And they have the lead, and they stop Michigan State, and they get the ball back. So now, second to last drive, they give the ball to Miles Sanders up the middle. There's under five minutes left in the football game. So then, they're going to try to go get another first down. So, Trace McSorley gets the football. He tries to throw it out wide, incomplete. Throws it over the middle, incomplete. Two incomplete passes on that particular drive and they punt the ball right back to Michigan State now as Tyler and I talked about in the last segment Michigan State had a decision to make as they had the football with under two minutes left and Michigan State has the football and they got to decide what are they going to do they trust their defense with three timeouts left they punt the ball back to Penn State now Penn State gets the football back and they need to decide what they want to do So as the Nittany Lions get the football, it's still 17-14, and they need to decide how we're going to move this football down the field and get one first down. So read option with McSorley and Sanders. McSorley gets the snap, a read option for Sanders. McSorley actually keeps this football and goes up the middle. This is a Michigan State team that all day was not letting McSorley be successful after pulling on the read option. And we've seen this in the past because McSorley is a good athlete, not as great an athlete as some of the running backs that are coming out of the backfield, which, again, is McSorley, or is, uh, Miles Sanders and Saquon Barkley. So it's not saying a lot, but he doesn't have that top-end speed. And one thing that I don't think is talked about enough, he isn't the best decision-maker on the pure read option. I think he makes it work enough, but there have been enough bad decisions that he's made over the years that I think it's worth saying that, that he may not be the world's best decision maker at this point of the read option. So that's the first play that they run. Then McSorley rolls in the pocket, hangs, goes towards the sideline, and then runs out of bounds. I mean, there are a lot of things that I can start to understand. I can understand why on the second-to-last drive they're trying to pass for a first down because it's not like there's two minutes left. It's not like they're trying to burn timeouts. I'm okay with that, and you're playing against a very incompetent passing defense, at least per the rankings. The last drive, I know why you're running the football, but then you're taking maybe an opportunity with McSorley. He gets over the sideline. Stay in bounds. Stay in bounds and let Michigan State force them to take a timeout at that point. But he runs right out of bounds. Not a very smart play by the senior. And they have to punt the ball back to Michigan State. So of those two drives, there are a lot of things to make you frustrated. Incomplete passes where they could have completed a pass and gotten a first down and continued to roll down that clock at about three minutes down to two on that what ended up being the second to last drive. But I'm actually okay with those plays because that's still time to be aggressive. That's not time to milk the clock. And if they ran the ball three times and had to punt it back, we would have been saying, why don't you stay aggressive? You have one of the best passers in the country. So I have no problem with the second-to-last drive. It's down here, lobbing the ball up to Jawan Johnson on a play that you almost never run. And then it's Trace McSorley making the decision to go out of bounds. I mean, that's your football game right there. Those two plays, and I still think I have an issue with that read option up the middle You know, initially. I know that's an offense that they run, but Trace McSorley didn't have enough success during the game getting up the middle in between the tackles against the country's best run defense, even if they didn't show it during most of that 60-minute span. They did when they ran that particular play, and they went right back to it on the game's decisive possession. So really, those two to three plays are where the issues were for Penn State. Trace McSorley with a bad throw to Johnson, a worse call by Ricky Ronnie. Trace McSorley's decision to pull and head up the middle. Again, I don't know if that's the right call from Ricky Ronnie. And then on the third down, the fateful third down, McSorley making the decision on his own to scoot out of bounds. 
that that that's your football game and of course there are many other things that happened Amani Oruarie could have made an interception on the last drive but you know that's a physical mistake we had mental mistakes occurring on these three plays that ended up costing Penn State the football game so that's our blitz for today we'll come back on the other side we'll talk a lot more about this Penn State team moving forward we'll talk about some of the big games this week so hang with us here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report live on BLS Welcome back to the Nittany Lions Sports Report, everybody. Bob Long, Tyler Galhouse. Appreciate everybody hanging with us here on this Wednesday evening as we go through what went wrong against Michigan State. Uh, I still think it's important to, even after that blitz segment where I kind of lambasted the play calling in the final couple minutes, to, uh, to remember that these are young coaches. Ricky Ronnie's first opportunity is a bright guy. He learned, he learned under Joe Mo. And I do think that he'll be successful here long-term. I think he's, well, long-term if he wants to be. He's not going to be let go. If he leaves, it's going to be because a big program comes after him for their head coaching job. And that's one where if you have a successful program, that's going to happen to your coaches. Doesn't feel like it right now, but at some point, mark my words, that's what's going to happen to a really young and, uh, and talented assistant. So when I say that, I mean, specifically in that moment, there were some bad decisions made. No reason he can't learn from it. Remember your first day or your first year on the job. Things will improve, and he is very, very bright. So they're getting themselves at bats, and for a kind of young program here in many ways, this is a program that is in every single football game, and there are young guys that are getting playing time already. I think they'll be better for it. Sure, it really is a shame not to compete for a national championship this year as a Penn State fan, and I know a lot of fans feel that way, but I think that this program's in a great spot. I said the same thing at the end of last year, and I don't feel any differently after that Michigan State game than I did before. So that's kind of my takeaway is there's so much to get into with this game. I think we did a lot, and I think we properly, uh, properly got into – the discussion of what went wrong and why and that it's not acceptable. In the long term, things are well. And I think they'll continue to go well, and I think that the way they finish this season will say a lot about the character of this team. With that said, Indiana, this weekend, sorry to Peyton Ramsey and co. We did not get to preview you at all here tonight, so we're going to go right to predictions, starting with you, Tyler. I think the offense is going to turn it around this week. Um Indiana, it, it helps Penn State that the game's at 3.30. It's not at 12 o'clock. Um, but I'm not really sure what to make of Indiana. They played pretty well against Ohio State um, for a while, a couple weeks ago. Um, they're they're kind of one of those teams that can always give you a game or, or it could be a very easy win, depending on which team shows up for Penn State. I think you're going to get an, an angry Penn State team. I just hope that they're not trying too hard and pushing the issue. Um, I think they do win comfortably. I'll go 42-24. Um, Indiana can put up points, um, and so can Penn State. And uh, Indiana's defense looked terrible last week against Iowa. Nate Stanley, Iowa's quarterback, put up points, six touchdown passes. So I expect McSorley to be able to do the same. Maybe not six touchdown passes, but um, I see a big bounce-back game against Indiana. I think Penn State wins big. I'm going to call it a 21-point football game, and I think they win handily in Indiana and really start gearing up for a very difficult portion of the schedule down the stretch. And I know we're not predicting this, but I think they're going to be successful. I think they're going to beat both Michigan and Wisconsin. Throwing that out there right now. You forgot about Iowa. I think they beat Iowa as well. Okay, because that's obviously after Indiana and and Iowa's a ranked team and they're they're hot right now as well. No doubt about that. Um, Anyways, real quick, we'll do some uh, predictions for this week. Unfortunately, we aren't going to have the um, the entertainment of the possible playoff paths anymore um, for Penn State, but um, still a lot can happen. I'm not saying they're going to the playoff because they're not, um, but still, nonetheless, a lot of good football games to predict. And uh, there's if they win out, they are the number two team in the Big Ten. Sure, and I mean, there's a lot no to play what. for. Ten win season, Rose Bowl. Yeah, right. So there still is a lot to play for. So um, we'll, we'll still um, do the picks, even though they don't really um, matter as much in terms of Penn State's playoff hopes. Uh, first, we'll go um, 
last week's victor, Michigan State, hosting Michigan. Um, noon, Michigan State's home. So I like the Wolverines here. Uh, we, we put this behind us, and this has been all in a negative context, deja vu all over again. I think it's deja vu all over again for Michigan State. They win a game that they shouldn't have won. Tell me, are they ranked this week? Michigan 6, Michigan State 24. Okay. So Michigan State popped high into the top 25 last year after they beat Penn State in a game that I don't necessarily think that they should have. They got up to number 12 in the country and got their doors blown off by Ohio State. I think the same thing happens here this week. They win a game that they shouldn't have won against Penn State team, didn't play their best game, give all the credit in the world to the Spartans. However, they're overranked right now. And I know that they're ranked behind Penn State, even though they beat Penn State. So save save that for me on the uh, on the social media channels. I get it. They're going to get their doors blown off by Michigan this week, and it's going to be a repeat of what happened last year after they had their big win against Penn State. Yeah, I think Michigan's going to win. I don't think it'll be a blowout. I think it'll be less than ten. Um, I mean, just because it's an it's it's a rivalry for both teams, um, big brother, little brother. Yep. Um, but, I mean, you just never know how emotion works in college football. You don't. I mean, it's the one thing you really cannot explain. Um, as you just said from their big wins last year, Michigan State, you just can't explain um, psychology and, and really what's going through these, these 18 to 22-year-olds' yep. heads. So. You're exactly right what, about that's that. That's what makes it so much fun at yeah. the end of the day. You're but, right. That's, that's why George, you know, Georgia gets hammered by LSU last week. Give all the credit in the world to LSU. LSU's not, you know, two, three touchdowns better than Georgia. And things happen to young kids. While we're on it, number 22, Joe Moorhead's Mississippi State Bulldogs travel to Baton Rouge. Um, interesting, interesting matchup, I think, that they have here. So interesting because Joe Moorhead is a guy who is already, and if you can believe this, a little bit polarizing in Starkville, Mississippi. A guy that couldn't be less polarizing when he was here at Penn State. And as Penn State fans start to call out Ricky Ronnie and say that he has no idea what he's doing as an offensive coordinator, which I think is ridiculous as a holistic statement, and saying that Joe Moe was the way, you have people in Starkville criticizing the way Joe Moorhead was calling football games in the first month of the season. Then they go and they win a game that they shouldn't against... Auburn. Auburn. Who isn't as good as we all thought, including yourself. Uh, That's right. Who isn't as good as <laughs> I thought. Not even close. And the reaction is not Joe Mo has did a great job in that game. It's, thank God Joe Mo finally started doing what we told well, him to do, was run the yeah, football well, with Nick Fitzgerald. So mm-hmm. uh, it's just interesting the way things work in college football. I don't think they win that football game. I would love to say it. I would love to give a little Hale State ring the uh, bell for him, but I think that LSU is going to win that football game at Death Valley. Yeah, LSU six and a half point favorite at home. Um, they have a they have a gauntlet of games coming up. They already took care of Georgia. Um, next, they have Mississippi State, and after that, I believe they have Alabama. I believe that game is coming up shortly. Um, so is that the three thirty CBS game? This week it is. Mississippi State, um, LSU, LSU is actually it's at seven. Okay, um, but LSU has a bye after this, and then the the showdown with Alabama. Very interesting. Um, that could set yeah. up well for. them. I mean, I, I agree. I think LSU that um, could set up really well could. for them, and it's at home. So I think that um, LSU things are things are going their way right now. Um, that they usually really should usually have lost don't. To Florida. Right. So um, I'm going. I'm going. Go Tigers as well. There. Okay. Uh, let Man, me get they, back. Sh- they should not have lost to Florida. Could you imagine what they'd be looking like right now if they hadn't lost that game? I mean, but still, they control their own destiny. They so. do, no doubt about um, it. Let me. Go. I'm sorry. One second. Schedule. The reason why that game, of course, would have been so important is that all Penn State would have needed was Alabama to win out at that point, and the SEC would have been down to one team. Now the SEC could theoretically still get two teams, and the way it could be would be LSU winning out and Alabama winning every game but LSU, and I think that you could still get those two teams in there from the SEC. The 3.30 CBS game is Alabama-Tennessee. Gotcha. Doesn't do much for me. No. Um, <laughs> another good game, though, to pay attention to, uh, big one in the ACC, NC State at Clemson. 
I like Clemson. I don't think they lose a home game this year. If that game was at NC State, I think LSU, I'm sorry, Clemson, speaking of the Tigers, uh, would sleepwalk through a game like that. We've seen it too many times. And uh, 17 and a half point favorites, yeah, the so, Tigers are. I so mean, that's. Yeah. I don't see them losing a home game. I'll say it again. So they win this game. I'm right there with you. I don't know if they'll cover, um, but that's not really what matters in college football is <laughs> that you get the win. So. I'm going Clemson. I think they'll run the table this year until the college football playoff. Um, the ACC is just so weak. We've, yes. we've touched, Probably we've touched on that today. Louisville, um, yeah, it's, Florida it's, State it's is not good. Um, and, and this week's games really really aren't that strong. Um, I guess the last Pullman. game. Yeah, I was just going to say Oregon at Washington State. College game day going to Pullman for the first time. The Washington first State time flag. First time ever. First time ever. Wow. That's crazy. With the Washington State flag, and they're favored by guys. three. Really? Yeah. Uh, I like Oregon on the road. Ducks coming off that uh, big win Ducks. against Washington. Give me the big you O. Know, you know how the emotions work. I'm going Washington State. Okay, um, look at you. They're going to be jacked up out there. You mentioned the big flag for those that don't know. I don't know. Do you want to tell the crowd about the history behind? This? Sure. I mean, they should, hopefully they know it. If they don't, it's it's a tremendous history. College game day has been going all around the country for years and years and years, decades now. Really, really great show. They don't allow flags inside the metal barriers. That little square area behind the desk where the people are holding up the signs and whatnot. But you're always going to see this flagpole waving, a red one with some silver markings, that's the Washington State logo, and then a silver one with the maroon Washington State logo. And those folks are diehard Washington State fans and alums that travel every single week, wherever college game day is, and wave that flag. And don't think that the guys don't notice it. They all know who this Washington right. State contingency is. And there have become some imposters over recent can't years. Re- you can't, you can't it copy that one. It will always be Wazoo. There, there actually is, if, if you look it up on, on the internet, that you can find. Um, they did actually, like a, uh, like a, not a documentary, but a segment on um, the guy, girl, whoever, um, does the flag and it's actually it's actually really interesting um college game day showed it a couple years ago i want to say so uh very interesting if you have yeah if you ever want to look that up but um I'm and bls go- has a picture with them too that's from, true from the fall of 2009 we'll, we'll have to get that up next week maybe yeah. if we can see if dig we can it through the archives that. yeah um anyway and, and another good one for next week since penn state's playing iowa would be mm. your uh college game day signs from when oh, you were you a student at penn state when, when i was they a freshman <laughs> Maybe we can dig up those pictures as well, but we might uh, just have to. I'm going Cougars in this. Uh, it's for the again. This is again for the lead in the Pac-12 North. It's yep. just a lot of shuffling right now um, until they figure themselves out. But and this will about take the conference out of the mix, right? Yeah, I think if the conference happens. is kind of already out of the mix. I don't think Oregon? I don't think they're going to run it. I mean, I just but if they do, if they do, yeah, I mean, if they do, but I don't think they will. Um, I think that this. I think Washington State's going to win, and. Um, I just think they're going to be so juiced up. And that, and that can go either way, uh, being that juiced up with the emotions that we talked about. But I think they'll pull it out. High score. Fun one to watch. I mean, definitely uh, that's going to be a one that you have to watch on Saturday night. One more on the folks with the flag college game day. How good is that if you're an administrator or the president of, the, you know, of Washington State? Best advertising State. ever. Free. Free ad- they should be paying them. They should be. I mean, Maybe seriously. they are. I don't and know. Get, everybody talks about it that watches yep. the show, too. It's a... It's a great thing that they're doing. So proud yeah. alums. Yeah, it, it it you know replaces having a the value that having a good football program has. So there you go. Although they've got a decent program as well, but not not as much traditionally. Well, so it, it no replaces. better opportunity than Saturday Why all not? day Saturday. It's all on them. So yeah, now's their time. Mike Absolutely. Leach, the pirate. What a character! Unbelievable. It was a good show tonight, Tyler. I really appreciate having you on. And it's not an easy discussion when there's a loss like this, but I think it's important that when we criticize, make sure everybody knows that when we're criticizing, we're criticizing specifics, specific play call. I am not ready to make uh, holistic statements about this coaching staff other than the holistic statement that this coaching staff is as well-rounded a coaching staff as this program has ever had. And they're put in a position to consistently succeed 
at a much greater frequency than has been the case throughout the history of Penn State football in a much more difficult time to be successful in college football with less scholarships per school and more talent and deeper at the high school level. And they are there every single year. As long as that's the case, we need to keep that in mind and realize that this program's in a great spot and to let these young guys, coaches and players included, come on up, do their thing, and get themselves a lot more at-bats next year and the rest of this year. And I guarantee they will continue to. Still way ahead of the curve, if you ask me. Yep. I mean, really, ever since uh, you know the first two years, James Franklin barely got 500. You know, they went to those two bowl games. Ever since then, they, they took strides. I mean, it, it's it, Rome wasn't built in a day, as they say, or overnight, whatever the saying is. And, and college football programs certainly aren't either. Um, so... Uh, as tough as the losses are um, and, and the close games, I mean, the future is, is incredibly bright. You just hope that they can figure out the little things and becoming elite. Hang in, folks. Hang in. Be with this program the rest of the year. Be with us the rest of the year. These games are important. Win out and you're in the Rose Bowl. Think about that. How many times have they gone to the Rose Bowl in the history of the program? Certainly some, but it is still quite the treat to be able to do it, and it says a lot about your season. So hang in there. Hang tough, watch Indiana, follow the team, and get ready for what should be a great stretch run. And I know we'll be there with all you guys the rest of the way. So for Tyler Gellhouse, I am Bob Long saying so long here from our Nittany Lions Sports Report studios in Bluebell. And we will be back next week to recap that Indiana game and preview the stretch run. Have a great rest of the week, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon.